Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back into the final episode of Gamecock Central GM. I'm your host, Pearson Baller, and with me, as always, to finish off the predictions and analysis of the class 2020 draft class. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. The draft is two days away from Gamecock Central, from Prep RA. Will Helms here to finish off the amazing work that you've started here on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun, and we have two more position groups left, the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. Maybe the two most interesting position groups in this entire draft just because of the intrigue at the top of the quarterback class and the incredible, maybe unprecedented depth at the wide receiver position. But before we get into the football talk today, Will, we do have a little bit of a longer episode ahead for you also. I hope you hope you enjoy that and hope you're looking forward to that and getting all the good insight so that you can impress your friends that you're not going to be watching the draft with unless you all want to watch it over Zoom. But I, I want to start today with something outside of football because I saw on Twitter last night that you watched for the first time, Baby Driver. What'd you think? So this was a Colin Taylor recommendation. He has been on me for about two and a half years to watch this movie. <laughs> I'm not a big movie person. I haven't really watched a movie by myself. Um, I, I guess actively like sought out, I'm going to watch this movie and then watch it by myself probably in five years. Whoa. Um, so did that last night with, um, with Baby Driver, and it was incredible. I put it immediately in my top three. Um, I have it for another like 24 hours. I might watch it again tonight. We'll see. You definitely should. That's awesome. No, I love that. I saw it in theaters when it came out. I'm honestly more surprised that you just don't watch movies than I am that you loved Baby Driver. But I- I'm glad that that's the one that you picked to sort of end your uh, hiatus. That's a that's a great recommendation. Um, have you seen any of uh, Edgar Wright's other movies like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz or At World's End or any of those other ones? I have not, actually. Okay. All right, well, if you liked Baby Driver, those movies are a little bit different. They're a little more comedy, but his style is, is pretty specific. And if you like if you liked that, I will recommend the other ones to you as well. Um, but, yeah, Baby Driver was a blast. And I, I've uh, It's been a couple years since I've seen that, I think pretty much since it came out. So uh, I, I'm glad that it holds up uh, just a couple years later. I'm glad that you finally watched that and uh, listened to Colin's recommendation. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've liked it a lot. Um Really liked the concept and everything. Um, thought it was really, really well done. Um, and the story was also really good, which kind of was secondary to me the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. But I did like the story, too. Does it make you want to watch more movies? It does, actually. Uh, I'll watch a lot of movies like in theaters with um, like with my friends. I'm always one of the first ones to go see. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I'll still go um, like first day, second day to mm-hmm. see Star Wars with friends. And um did the whole Avengers thing and then just kind of sat there and was like, okay, now what? <laughs> um, but as far as like individual movies and like, I'll tell myself, Oh, that looks really, really good. And then I'll just never go see it. Mm. Um, so to watch a movie by myself was actually, you know, kind of out of character. 
Well, good, good. I'm, I'm glad you participated in that. And it's not officially a quarantine until you've either binge watched a show or watched a movie that you've been meaning to watch for years. So uh, welcome to quarantine with the rest of us. Um, glad you watched that. Time to get into a little football talk. And like I said, we have quarterbacks and wide receivers still left to go through. And you wanted to start with quarterbacks. There's a lot to say. It's a You have 10 guys listed in your draft network board, which, by the way, you are planning on publishing at some point before the draft. Are you going to wait till Thursday or are you going to do this tomorrow on Wednesday? I will probably – I've got a top 100 um, that I'm probably going to drop this afternoon, mm-hmm. um, okay. kind of a big board type of thing. And then sometime tomorrow I'll drop either my position rankings that we've been talking through on here um, or my two-round mock drafts. Not sure which one. Haven't done the mock draft yet, so that probably will, depending on how much I get uh, done of that today, um, that will either be tomorrow or Thursday. So okay. I'll drop all that stuff. Great. Well, at WHelms21 on Twitter is where y'all need to be checking to see uh, when he drops his top 100, his mock draft, uh, draft network board, which I've had access to and has been fascinating to you know kind of help me follow along with with uh, what Will's been doing. Uh, before we get into the specifics of the quarterback big board you have right here, what is your process for evaluating quarterbacks? I know we like to start every position group with this, but I feel like with quarterbacks – in some ways, it's probably really easy to tell which guys are good and which guys aren't on film. But on the other hand, a quarterback has so much responsibility, leading a franchise, leading a team, being a centerpiece. There's so many intangible qualities that are valuable for, for quarterbacks. What is your assessment process for quarterbacks? So I think for quarterbacks, there's a lot of feel, um, which is why we see a lot of quarterbacks that are um, that are busts. Is It's really hard to look at a guy outside of an Andrew Luck um, and a couple guys this year, actually, and say, like, that guy's going to be successful. We know he's going to be successful. Um, I remember myself questioning why Patrick Mahomes was taken so high um, in the draft. Now, he sat a year, came out, um, you know, had Andy Reid offense, and really got to take off from there. Um, they built it around him. Um, but I remember at the time going, I don't know if I like that pick. Um, I was, I knew the Chiefs needed a quarterback, and I was – fully on the Deshaun Watson train that year. He's the best quarterback in the class. Um, Never liked Mitch Trubisky. Um, But I think a lot of it has to do with, I do like, and I put a lot of emphasis on how they performed in college. I don't see a lot of guys that are just going to take that massive step from college to the pros and magically become better. Um, But we are looking at some some things. So we're looking at, I like college production a lot. Um, Specifically, I contrast that with quote-unquote arm talent. When somebody's like, wow, he's got just a rocket for an arm, it's like, great, but if he couldn't hit receivers in college, I don't think he's going to be able to hit receivers in the NFL. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking more for college production over arm talent. We've got actually one guy at the very top that apparently people agree with um, it, as far as that goes, as far as college production over arm talent. And then we're looking at, like, the NFL throws of the college game. The NFL game are starting to mirror each other a little bit more. But there are throws that every NFL quarterback needs to be able to make, and not every college quarterback, even successful college quarterbacks, need to make. We'll talk about some of those as we get to some of the more specific guys. Um, but then we want to see, um, can they make NFL throws? Can they go through progressions? A lot of times we've got college um, systems that only have a guy look at one side of the field or only have them read high to low, which means they look deep, and if the deep guy's not open, they have one guy that they throw to or they run. Um, And in the NFL, you really need to be able to look left to right, right to left, 
um, sometimes go through your progressions twice in one play to be able to see if you find a guy that um, pops open because you just aren't going to have guys that get open as consistently at the NFL level. Um, we want to see pocket movement. Um, doesn't have to be a good runner. I've got some really good examples of that um, later. Um, I've told Pearson that I haven't said this on the podcast yet, um, but today we're going to use a lot of NFL comparisons just because I think it's really helpful for quarterbacks to be able to see and say, this guy compares and looks a lot like this guy. Um, I, I think that's really helpful to be able to see at the quarterback position what that looks like, especially because most average NFL viewers know what a Tom Brady looks like or what a Drew Brees looks like. Um, you can do NFL comparisons for other positions, but it's not like everybody knows what every running back runs like or what every offensive lineman blocks like or something like that. A lot of times we know what quarterbacks look like. Um, so we're looking at, at pocket movement. Can we move around in the pocket, um, create a, a couple extra seconds to be able to find an open man? Um, and then is there any one trait that stands out? We're looking at like anticipation. Is he throwing guys open? Is he having to wait until guys um, are open? Uh, does he have one thing that puts him um, at the next level? Like we said, if you take out Lamar Jackson's running ability, he's probably a mid-round pick. You can't take out his running ability. He's a special runner. That made him a first-round pick and MVP candidate last year. Probably would have still been a pretty decent quarterback if he couldn't run, but you have to account for that running ability. You have to account for, does a guy just have an absolute rocket for an arm um, above and beyond what we would say would be normal? Um, is, is that thing um, something that happens? And then the last thing would just be that, we don't have time to talk about every quarterback, and especially at the quarterback position, we can only get one on the field at a time unless we're the Jets trying to put, what, Geno, was it Geno Smith and yeah. um, Tim Tebow on the field at the same time, which was a very odd experiment. Uh, we can only have one on the field at a time, only 32 teams. So a lot of these guys that get drafted are never going to play a down in the NFL, and that's just kind of the reality of it. So we're looking for who are our top guys, who are our kind of mid-round serviceable backup guys and then I have this last group called the potential Gardner Minshews of guys that wouldn't really stand out from an athletic perspective maybe or um, on film really but were solid college quarterbacks that I think could turn a corner and potentially be an NFL starter one day if not this year um, those are going to be your late round guys maybe even an undrafted free agent here or there um, but that's mostly what we're going to talk about today is I'm looking mostly at college production, but it is going to vary player to player. What kinds of advanced metrics, pro football focus numbers, et cetera, do you use to supplement your film study of these guys? So I kind of had my, um, my big board kind of planned out a couple days ago, but Ian Wharton on Twitter, and I'm looking for it right now. I should have saved it. Um, Ian Wharton on Twitter who is a film study guy. He does a lot of stuff with PFF, with some other stuff. Um, put down a breakdown of every potential first-round quarterback of the last 10 years and their accuracy percentages, um, which I thought was really interesting. And he put them in tiers of um, there are 80, 80 quarterbacks he looked at, but he only charted the potential first-round guys. So he's got 20 guys on here, and he has – pre-line of scrimmage accuracy percentage, 0 to 10 yards accuracy percentage, um, 11 to 19, 20-plus overall accuracy, uh, pass line of scrimmage versus pressure, all that kind of stuff. 
and then color coded it based on tiers where green would be you're in the top 20. Uh, what yellow would be you're between 21 and 40. Orange would be you're between 41 and 60. And then red would be you're between 71 and 80 uh, or 61 and 80 um, of all of those quarterbacks charted. And what I found here is that it's really hard to find trends. Um, so you've got guys, you've got two guys that are um, in the top 20 of everything. Um, well, I say that you've got um, Joe Burrow, who's in the top 20 on at every single distance down the field, zero to 20 yards um, of all the 80 quarterbacks charted over the past 10 years. Um, he's the only guy on there. Number two on there with the most is Tua is um, in the top 20 in all but one category, and that's zero to 10 yards. Um, other than that, you've got Andrew Luck, who's really, really accurate up there. So you'd say, okay, maybe accuracy is a big thing. But then following him, you have Jared Goff, Paxton Lynch, and who else? We have Josh Rosen as some of the most accurate guys in college, um, which means – you can't put a ton of stock into accuracy because the jury's still out on a couple of those guys. Blake Bortles is up there too. Um, you got Robert Griffin III. That's a little bit different. He's up there. Um, and so you've got a lot of these guys that the accuracy percentage, you would say, okay, maybe the, the higher the accuracy, the, the better they're going to pan out. But you've got a lot of guys up there that didn't pan out. And then we'll look at the other side. Deshaun Watson and was one of the least accurate passers charted. Um, we've got Ryan Tannehill was not very accurate. Um, we've got Teddy Bridgewater was pretty accurate. Uh, Johnny Manziel was not very accurate. Um, so you've got a lot of guys that are on both ends that are either really accurate or not really accurate. Um, and you would think that generally that would lead you to say that um, these guys are the best, but it doesn't really work that way um, per se. And even when you break it down to, well, maybe it's a, deep ball accuracy, or maybe it's a short ball accuracy or whatever, you kind of get these things all over the place of, um, you know, Lamar Jackson had one of the worst deep ball accuracies in college. He's one of the most accurate deep passers in the NFL. Um, you have, um, who else? Baker Mayfield has gone way down on deep ball accuracy, even though he's one of the best in college. Blake Bortles is the best in the past 10 years at deep ball accuracy by almost 20%. And he's not a very good quarterback. So I like to use these accuracy percentages, but it kind of shows you it, the biggest takeaway I have from that chart is that a lot of it is guesswork. Um, you, you've got guys who you look at statistically and say, there's no way this guy ends up being really good. And then he does end up being really good. Um, or you, you look at this and say, there's no way this guy isn't a bust. And then he's a huge bust. Um, there are a couple guys that I think everybody knew Andrew Luck was going to be really good. Um, I think everybody knew that um, Robert Griffin III was going to be pretty good until he got injured. He was really good until he got injured. Um, then you, you've got guys, but the only guys in that stratosphere are Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa right now mm. um, over the past 10 years, which I think bodes well for the future of the NFL. I think there are a lot of really good picks, but I think there are two guys – um, kind of going into the rankings that are that top tier, like I would be really surprised if they bust. There's always going to be a bust percentage with every quarterback. Nobody in the world thought Chris Leak would bust, and he was not very good. And then you um, you got other guys who you think aren't going to be really good who do end up being really good. 
Um, but I think in general, there's a lot of skepticism around certain guys. And more often than not, I think the general skepticism turns out to be right. Um, the guy I think of is um, the, the draft from three years ago was Mitch Trubitsky. The first three guys off the board were Mitch Trubitsky, um, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. And what I always say is people get – I've seen people get annoyed at the Bears for not picking Patrick Mahomes. I think it's completely justifiable not to have picked Patrick Mahomes at number three and um, maybe even to pick Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. I would not have personally done that. I never liked Mitch Trubisky, didn't think his college production was that good. Um, but there's an argument to be made there. Where I don't think there was an argument to be made is Deshaun Watson was going to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Um, and anybody that said he wasn't, I kind of I'll call them the stats or the the scouts that don't like college football mm-hmm. that just don't follow college football and are really surprised when this guy that doesn't have a great arm ends up being really good in the NFL. It's because they just don't care about college football. They didn't watch how Deshaun Watson carved up defenses, how he's got really good pocket movement, how he can uh, go through his progressions really well, and they just looked and said, "Man, eh, he's got a low average arm. He's not going to be good in the NFL." Well, I think you laying that all out probably makes Bears fans feel a little bit better because if there's not a direct correlation between good in college and good in the pros, as we all know, I mean, there's a reason that this is really tough. And even the best guys at drafting, particularly drafting quarterbacks, you know, get it right barely 50% of the time. It probably makes Bears fans feel a little bit better because there was no way that anyone could watch Mitchell Trubisky in college and think that he was going to be great in the NFL other than just, like you're pointing out, you know, sort of some of the randomness where guys just get better in certain areas. Uh, but, but I guess I'll ask that. I wanted to ask you about red flags, but I'll, I'll wait because the first couple guys we're going to talk about, I don't think have any major red flags. Um, so we will, we'll, we'll save that, but I'll just ask you as you talk about guys, you know, maybe that are great at throwing the deep ball in college and not as good in the NFL or guys that have gone the other direction. What are the most teachable skills for a quarterback at the next level? And, and I, I guess really what I'm asking here is, is what are the weaknesses that a quarterback can have that a team is most willing to overlook? I think a lot of things are not teachable pocket movement to me. I've never really seen anybody able to learn how to move around in the pocket. That's just something that you just either you, you've got it or you don't got it. Um, and typically I think the best quarterbacks in the NFL are the ones with the best pocket movement. Um, and I'm not talking about being able to run. Uh, I would say probably the top five guys in the NFL pocket movement is, is completely equal between this guy is one of the best runners in the history of the NFL. And this guy is one of the worst runners in the history of the NFL. I would say my top two guys, top three guys for pocket movement would be Lamar Jackson, um, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees, which will go on both ends of the spectrum there as far as athletic ability. But all three of those guys almost have two. I think they have two sets of eyes because anytime you see somebody either coming behind them, they never get hit from behind. Um, they always have just a unique, innate ability to be able to make a small adjustment, whether that's moving three feet to the left or even, you know, six inches to the right or just stepping up in the pocket, you know, half a step or something like that in rhythm and being able to hit guys just to give themselves an extra quarter second to be able to get a throw away. Those are things that they always have been able to do that. I don't think you learn that. I don't think there's anybody that can teach that. Um, I saw Jameis Winston doing some um, – weird bag work to try to learn that. I don't think it's something you can learn. Um, You're either really good at it or you're not really good at it. So I value that a lot. 
because you can't teach it. And since you can't teach it, it's something where it's like, okay, you, you got it. You, you're not going to get worse at this. You're not going to get better at this. You've got it. Um, so I look at that a lot. I think um, I look at something like accuracy as something that can actually be taught a little bit. Functional accuracy can be taught. Generally, like, can you throw the ball where you want to? Um, I think that's like, to be a quarterback, you have to be able to do that. Um, and not to, just to use an example, um, I really like Perry York. He's a good guy. He was a walk-on at South Carolina, seventh-string quarterback. And I've seen him three, four times in a row hit a trash can from 40 yards. So we're talking about SEC walk-on has that kind of accuracy. Anybody we're talking about in the draft has decent accuracy. Um, it's, I think, functional accuracy is something that we're looking at. Can you put the ball not just on the receiver, but can you put the ball, as we say, we hear announcers say all the time, where only your guy can get it? Or can you lead your guy away from, um, away from being hit or away from a defender or something like that? Can you, do you have the um, ability mentally to say, okay, this guy's running to the right. I'm supposed to throw it in front of him, but there's a defender in front of him. I'm going to throw it behind him and trust that my guy catches it. Um, I'm always going to talk about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's really good at that. He doesn't get credit for it. Um, Drew Brees is another guy that's really, really good at that. That, I think, can be taught a little bit. Um, and if not, you can build an offense around. If you've got a guy that just absolutely cannot throw a deep out route, you just don't run deep out routes. Mm. And if it's five routes, that's an issue. If it's one route, you work on it, you get better at it, and you just don't have it in your playbook until they're comfortable with it. Um, so I do think accuracy, in a, in a way, can be um, harnessed a little bit better. And I think there are certain college programs that have not done a really good job with our quarterback. I saw a, a tweet yesterday that said, um, what quarterback do you wish had gone to a different college and would have been more successful? Um, and I, I think about guys like Kyle Allen. I think a lot of guys that have transferred um, that just never really had a lot of success in college. And I think it's because mostly the system they ran um, and they just weren't asked to do things that they're good at as much as they were asked to do things that they weren't good at. Um, so I think moving an offense around a little bit, um, the Chiefs have done it with Patrick Mahomes. If you put him in a different offense, he's probably not going to be that success or as successful. Um, but the Chiefs have done a really, really good job of asking him to make the throws that he can make. I feel like the top two guys on this list and on pretty much everybody's big board and mock draft aren't going to have a lot of question marks about what kind of offense they can and can't fit into. They're going to be offenses that you build around and guys that are probably going to be good for years to come. Now, this is an interesting inflection point already. Like, literally, the first thing we're talking about is sort of the, the confluence of mock drafts and big boards. And it seems like consensus that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow with the first overall pick, and every mock draft is probably going to have Joe Burrow number one. But that's not where you're going with this, which, as we mentioned in the first and second episodes of the podcast, functions more as sort of a big board for you. Your first quarterback is Tua Tungvaluwa. Yeah, I've got him first. Um, this is nothing against Joe Burrow. I've actually, on my top 100, I have them one and two. Um, obviously, two are first and, and Joe Burrow second um, overall um, at all positions. You do, I do lean a little bit towards quarterback because if you miss on a quarterback, the Miami Dolphins missed on a quarterback a couple of years ago, um, you're going to get another chance. If you hit a quarterback, you're not going to get another chance to hit on a quarterback because you're going to be just really, really good. Um, if you look at the teams that are constantly drafting at the top of the draft, they don't have a quarterback. Um, and if you find your quarterback and your guy 
for five, 10 years, you were going to be good for five to 10 years. Um, and, and I think two is that guy. Um, first of all, we talk about red flag. He does have some bad lower body injuries. I'll tell you why that doesn't concern me. I think we've talked a little bit about this with other positions and other guys. Um, I want to know the nature of the injury. What were you doing? Um, was it something that comes because you get hit a lot? Was it something that comes because you run too much, because you don't know how to slide, anything like that, especially as a quarterback, um, as a Cam Newton fan, see it all the time. Um, but two is injuries. Every single one of them were kind of freak accidents. Um, he, he's outside the pocket, gets hit a little bit late, and lands on his hip and, like, dislocates his hip. That's super, super, super random. And according to all of the medical stuff I've read, is not something that hinders him in the future. It's not something like an ACL tear where it's like, okay, now your, your ACL is compromised and you're more likely to tear your ACL again. Um, he, he's got a couple ankle injuries. None of them were related to each other, and all of them came really, re- really weird times. Uh, one, uh, one guy, I think, tripped into him um, when he was in the pocket and, like, rolled up on his ankle. Um, something that naturally can happen, but it's just likely has happened to a guy that's never been hurt in his career as it is to happen to a guy that gets hurt every game. Um, and so I'm not concerned about the injuries with Tua. With that, I think – his bust rate is super, super low, and you're looking at an all-pro quarterback five times out of ten. Um, the, it, it's hard to predict um, the upper end. Like, this guy's going to be an absolute superstar. But I think Tua's got that um, that potential, and I think his floor is going to be better than most quarterbacks in the NFL. I think, let's say he, we're assuming for this he stays healthy because I saw a tweet the other night of, if he does, if you pick him and he doesn't stay healthy, that was a justifiable risk, and it's unfortunate, but you can get away with that. If you don't pick him, and let's say you pick Justin Herbert, and Tua just goes and becomes a superstar, that's the one that everybody's going to look back on, kind of like the Bears taking Mitch Trubisky and going, guys, what are you doing? Like, everybody knew that at that time. Um, that was the pick you should have made. And so I, th- I think his floor is at worst. If he plays this year, I think he's – an average quarterback in the, in the NFL, probably better than 16 to 20 quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, starting quarterbacks. At his best, I think he's the next superstar. Um, he's going back to what he's good at. Um, he's super calm in the pocket. Um, just He looks like Tom Brady in the pocket as far as um, – Tom Brady doesn't move around a lot. He just kind of stands there. It doesn't matter who's rushing, and he's totally fine. Um, and then he's got elite pocket movement, some of those little, small, subtle side steps, or he can make throw a sidearm throw if he needs to every once in a while. Um, so he can just make those little adjustments in the pocket um, that give him a little bit more time to throw accurately. Uh, another thing we look at is how accurate are you from a clean pocket because everybody's loses accurate in um, pressured situations. And so can you create a clean pocket for yourself? A lot of uh, sacks is actually a quarterback sack. Um, it has less to do with how good your offensive line is and more to do with how often you as a quarterback take sacks. Not always the worst thing in the world. Some of the worst quarterbacks at taking sacks in the NFL are Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. I would be okay with either of those guys as my quarterback. 
Um, but he is really good at avoiding sacks, not taking or not holding on to the ball too long, um, and being able to give himself a clean pocket, which leads to his elite accuracy. We said earlier he's the second most accurate quarterback coming out in the draft um, in the past ten years. Um, statistically, number, number one would be Joe Burrow. This past year, obviously, broke every record there. And then he um, goes through NFL progressions with – he runs an NFL offense. And what we're looking at when we talk about NFL offense, I think a lot of times we think um, – we have this mistake of thinking NFL offense would be under center, college offense would be in the shotgun, but it's more to do with what kind of progressions are you going through. Um, do you have – were you asking college to say, okay, hit this first guy, and if he's not open, throw it away or check down? Or are you being asked to say, all right, here's your first guy – but you could throw it to the fifth guy um, in your progression if you get that far. And being able to know this is the first guy I'm looking for, then this guy, then this guy, and if none of those guys are open, I'm going to look to this last guy. And if not, I'm either going to tuck it, run, throw it away, check it down, whatever. Um, and he was asked to do that, and not every quarterback this year was asked to do that. Um, so he checks off really those are the things I'm looking for. I've put more stock into were you good in college? Was Tua good in college? Yes, he would have won a Heisman if not for Joe Burrow just being insane and him having a freak injury. Um, is he calm in the pocket? Yes. Does he have elite pocket movement? Yes. Can he make good decisions? Yes. Uh, does he go through NFL progressions? Super important. Yes. He checks off all those boxes. Um, so this is something where, um, honestly, I think without meaning to, we bring race into this um, and we just don't think about it. Um, with him with him being a black quarterback, we just stereotypically think of those guys being more the, the runner. Um, it, that's just stereotypically how it works. His NFL comparison is Drew Brees. He is a slightly, slightly taller Drew Brees. Um, arm strength is almost identical. Um, what kind of progressions he goes through, where he excels, what kind of throws he's best at, um, his accuracy, his little intricacies, being able to throw behind a guy on purpose, that kind of stuff, it mirrors Drew Brees. This is the easiest comparison I've had, um, or I have for quarterbacks, is to attack by Loa is the next Drew Brees, in my opinion, if he stays healthy. So are the Bengals just that worried about you know, his injury, or is there something else that they like about Burrow more than what Tua offers? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the Bengals taking Joe Burrow because I think that he's honestly up in that level of – probable all pro or not all pro, but probable plus starter. And then you hope again for, for pro bowl and everything past that. You can't really predict that, but I do think you can predict that he's going to be a solid NFL starter. My one concern with Joe Burrow would just be that how much of that was Joe Brady and how much of that was Joe Burrow. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of draft guys past couple weeks looking at, okay, let's go look at his 2018 tape. Was that just really bad or was that just not as good? Um, and I've seen a lot of guys come to the conclusion that, yeah, he could do a lot of the same things. He was just kind of a fish out of water in that offense um, in 2018. And now he's looking, um, gets Joe, Bur or Joe Brady in there and starts running an uh, NFL offense that he could really thrive in. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the Bengals taking him. I think that he's been, um, he's proven that he's one of the top quarterbacks and any other year, I think that he would be the number, he would be the best quarterback in the class, and he still might be the best quarterback in the class. But that will be more because of what he does than the fact that Tua is not going to be good. I think that both of those guys are going to be really, really good, and I think we're going to look back in, on this quarterback class and say, "Hey, like 
you know, at least two guys mm-hmm. that ended up being um, some of the best in the league. Kind of like we look back at, you know, Pat, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, again, taking two picks apart, um, two of the best quarterbacks in the league, um, taking actually, you know, 10th and 12th. Um, so not really as obvious to teams, I think, as Joe Burrow and Tua are this year um, in the draft. But that was also a draft that they didn't really need. Um, a lot of teams at the top didn't need a quarterback. Um, and so I think that Joe, Joe Burrow is going to be good. He, again, his NFL decision-making, um, it's elite. It's probably as good as Tua's. Um, he doesn't have quite as strong an arm. That's not a big deal. Um, we, we see a lot of quarterbacks with an uh, arm that's not super strong um, that know how to win in other areas. And so he, with his pocket movement, um, knows how to um, manipulate throws and to manip- manipulate his body to get into a better angle to make throws um, and things like that. And then I think the, his best trait is that he is absolutely fearless. Um, he'll get back there and he'll throw into double coverage and he'll trust his arm. Um, and I think I've said this before, uh, I would rather have a guy that does that that actually can do it um, versus a guy that is overly cautious and doesn't make a lot of uh, tough throws. Mitch Trubisky would be the opposite. Mitch Trubisky would be a guy that doesn't have a lot of confidence, doesn't make a lot of uh, – try to make a lot of tough throws, and his game suffers from it. Um, at the same time, when we're talking about that, we're not talking about a Jameis Winston who's going to throw 30 interceptions a year. He picks and chooses where he's going to um, – make, um, I, I guess, risky throws. And most of the times those risky throws pan out. I mean, he was, what, 78% in college? And mm-hmm. that's not because he was throwing 100, you know, 100 screen passes a game. Yeah, he, he was, was like just 10 yards in an attempt or something like that, or 11 yards in an attempt. So uh, yeah. I'll ask you, this is kind of a two-part question. I'll ask it to you like this. What is the concern level for you and then other people that you know you're, you're reading a lot right now that his one season was a fluke. And do you factor that in in general? Maybe not specifically with Burrow, but when you see a guy have only one really, really dynamite year, does that give you cause for concern? Or do you look at that and say, well, look how much this guy progressed from you know, his second to last year to his last year. Think about how much he'll progress in the NFL. Personally, I don't have a big issue with it. But if you look historically, uh, we've got the same quarterbacks coming up over and over again today. Um there are there is cause for concern. The last quarterback that I would say definitely fits that mold would be Mitch Trubisky. Um, now a lot of his was that he didn't start a lot in college at all. Um, Joe Burrow or Joe Burrow does have the starting experience. He does have all that kind of stuff. Whereas Mitch Trubisky truly just did not play until his what senior or junior year, um, whenever he came out. Um, so I think there's a big difference there. I'm not super concerned because if you look back at his 2018 tape, it's not bad at all. He just isn't making the kind of deep throws. He's not being asked to make a lot of the throws that he can make. And when he does, um, it looks really good. I, I saw somebody do a thread on Twitter the other day that was like, you know, some of Joe Burrow's, you know, here's, here's a great series from Joe Burrow. And it was against Auburn. Um, and I was like, I was thinking, I was looking and I go, I don't remember them wearing those uniforms against Auburn. And at the end, he goes, this was a trick. This was 2018. And you couldn't tell the difference because he had mm. a couple series here and there that were just just picking teams apart. Um, I don't think that LSU set him up for a lot of success. And credit for Ed Ogeron for recognizing that, making some huge changes on offense 
um, and really coming in with a system that, you know, if they never win anything ever again, Ed Ogeron is still going to be loved in Louisiana just because that one year was so special. Um, and what they did, and Joe Burr is a huge part of that, and being able to put make the offense um, a lot like or a lot of what Joe Burrow wanted uh, and could succeed in, I think, is a big deal. Um, because of all that stuff, he, he takes some bad stats, too. That would be like another small negative, not a big deal. Um, because of his fearlessness, um, not having the strongest arm, really good decision maker, good pocket movement, all that kind of stuff. I have him as a Deshaun Watson um, comparison, which is actually a kind of a trendy comparison. Um, again, different systems. But I think that he could have some similar success in um, Cincinnati. And I'm really hoping that A.J. Green stays healthy because I think A.J. Green, with an actual competent quarterback, could be really good. I'm really excited to watch both of these guys. And as much as I enjoyed Joe Burrow and LSU's season last year, I'm, I'm fine with him going number one because he's just my favorite and it's nothing against Tua. I just I, I love Joe Burrow. I love his swagger. I love everything about him. So I'm just excited and, and, and really hopeful that that one year wasn't a fluke because he's just uh, – when he's got it going, man, he's, he's really fun to watch. Uh, the next guy you have on your list is someone that I feel like his name has really risen up a lot of mock drafts and big boards in the pre-draft process, which is interesting because we haven't had much of a uh, pre-draft process. But Jordan Love out of Utah State, is he, uh, you put him sort of in that first tier, or is he a clear notch below Burrow and Tangavailoa? He's a clear notch below there. Um, I've got him, I think, 18th on my top 100. Um, but I do have him a little bit above Justin Herbert just because I, I prefer him um, to Justin Herbert. I have a lot of issues, and we'll talk about that in just a second, with Justin Herbert's college career. Um, and it, it leaves me, I don't know where to put him. Um, Jordan Love is, is an interesting prospect, um, played at a slightly lower level and just has absolute flashes of brilliance. Um, he's super mobile, super athletic. Um, can make some really, 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 really accurate throws. And then probably once or twice a game, sometimes even more, we'll just make a throw that makes you question if he's ever played quarterback in his life. Um, that, to me, can be fixed. If you're not consistently making bad decisions, but you just have a lapse in judgment every you know, 20 plays or so, I think you can fix that. And so that's not as much of a negative to me as it is to some other people. But he has, um, of those 80 quarterbacks, he was like 78th in interceptable pass percentage, um, which is not great. But again, interceptable passes, I'm not as concerned about interceptions um, as a lot of people just because if you have, you know, the difference between the best and the worst, we're not throwing Jameis Winston in there, the best and almost the worst is maybe 10 interceptions over a 16-game season. It's not a huge deal, especially if you're gonna if you make that up with 10 other really good throws. Mm. Um, I don't see a huge deal with that. Um, he's got really good arm strength, and he knows how to use it. It's not just him dropping back and throwing it deep every single time. He knows how to um, use accuracy um, and use his arm strength when he's needed. It's not just him firing it in there every single time. He's got some good touch. Um, and he's got some – he stands in the pocket and can deliver some accurate passes. So I've got him as like a kind of Ryan Tannehill um, comparison. That's not as trendy because a lot of people actually have had Justin Herbert as a Ryan Tannehill um, comparison. They're really similar quarterbacks um, as far as Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. Um, I've just got Jordan Love a little bit higher. 
I think that he can learn a little bit more than Justin Herbert can. All right, so yeah, he's the, he's the next guy on your list. Obviously, you mentioned you have him, you know, pretty close to one another. What are the issues you have with Herbert that you have him below Love? So he, every quarterback is going to lose accuracy when they're not under ideal conditions. Um, but it's almost that Justin Herbert becomes a completely different quarterback if he's not able to just stand there for ten seconds and find his guy and throw it. Um, if he's moving a little bit, if he has to move around in the pocket if he has to throw off his back foot, if he has to um, throw on the run, if he has to adjust a route a little bit, it's almost like he can't do it. Um, So he's got these, all these tools. Um, He's big, he's mobile, and he just doesn't know how to use them. And I I think that there's some sort of disconnect between um, his ability to um, hit guys um, on, and be able to hit guys on the run. He just can't do it. Um, he's, he's never proved that he can do it. He'll have a flash here and there of some really, really accurate passes, even on the run. Um, it's just a lot of step back. This is the guy you're looking at. Throw it to that guy. And if anything changes, he's kind of off balance. So any time you look at a, a team, Stanford, I think, put him off. Um, I think it was Stanford this year. Um, Stanford or other games where we look at his tape and go, wow, that does not look good. It, they were getting pressure on him, and every quarterback is going to struggle a little bit under pressure. But he just goes from first-round pick to I would not draft this guy when if he were only under pressure. Um, it, it's like he forgets how to throw. Um, so I really don't like that. Um, he's often kind of the opposite of uh, Jordan Love as far as being super, super safe. Um, he doesn't make a lot of um, – Difficult throws, doesn't want to – he's got a great arm, but doesn't trust it a lot, it seems. Um, so I've got issues there. And then he struggles with anticipation. He never really throws guys open. It's always, I see this guy open, now I'm going to throw it to him. And in the NFL, those windows just close too early a lot of times. So I'm not a huge fan. I think a lot of it can be corrected. Um, but he's not very consistent, and I don't – really get a lot of the hype other than the fact that he's six foot six and has a big arm and can run. Um, So he's going to have to make a big adjustment as far as having to read defenses. He doesn't have to read defenses, anything like that. Um, Oregon played it safe a lot with him. And I think he could have been a lot better in college um, if he had gone somewhere else, actually. Hmm. All right. That's uh, that's, that's pretty damning and uh, good evidence of why this quarterback class seems to be like two guys and then, maybe a bunch of projects uh, starting with love and Herbert and then moving on to Jacob Eason. I kind of funny. I I don't think Georgia fans or the Georgia coaching staff necessarily foresaw this scenario when Jake Fromm won the starting job and Jacob Eason decided to transfer to Washington, that he would be two spots above Jake Fromm in your big board. But uh, Jacob Eason obviously finishing his career up at Washington. What's the gap between Herbert and Eason? I think there's a decent gap. Um, He's, even more unrefined than Justin Herbert. Um, But it's really, he's a really interesting guy because I do think that he's got a lot of upside. Um, I read it today as like Jordan Love has better upside than um, Justin Herbert. The path for Justin Herbert to have success is a little bit easier. Um, And then Jacob Eason maybe has a good chance for some upside, but there's a lot of bust potential here. Um, He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, Probably one of the strongest arms I've ever seen. 
um, like Matthew Stafford um, level arm, uh, just absolute rocket. Um, and so he can hammer it into tight windows. He actually uses that to make himself more accurate. Um, he'll make throws that a lot of other guys can't make because he doesn't have to anticipate them. He doesn't have to have the, the cerebral, like, I think this guy's going to be open because he can watch a guy that's open and watch a gap closing and just have enough zip on the ball to be able to beat the defender to the receiver. Um, so the, that's the number one thing is he's got an absolute cannon. Um, he needs to work a little bit on his touch. He loses track of time in the pocket. Um, a, a lot of things that we like to see from our top um, top prospects, he just doesn't have. Um, he doesn't have a lot of nuance, I think, in his game. It's a lot of step back, find a guy that's open, throw it as hard as I, I can to get it to him. A lot of times it'll work out um, and, you know, hope that works, you know, hope that goes well. Um, he doesn't make a lot of bad decisions, but he isn't great at a lot of the, um, I guess, mental aspects of the game. He's slow with his progressions. Um, he loses track of time in the pocket. So my NFL comparison for him would be Joe Flacco if he had Matthew Stafford's arm. Um, and when I say Joe Flacco, I mean old Joe Flacco, not Joe Flacco that took the Ravens to a Super Bowl. Yeah, not 11 touchdowns and no interceptions winning a Super Bowl, Joe Flacco. Although maybe, right? I mean, you can't rule it out if he, if he fixes all those other things with that kind of arm strength I mean, get him on maybe. the right team. Um, I just see his decision-making is really, really slow. Um, and, and I think, you know, Jim or John Harbaugh doesn't get enough credit for what he did with Joe Flacco. Um, you know, we, we give him so much credit for what he did with Lamar Jackson. But he just seems to have a really good feel for how do I put my quarterback in a place to succeed? Mm-hmm. Because Joe, Joe Flacco is not a good quarterback, but he found a lot of success in Baltimore. Um, and, and I think that that's a big deal. Of We, we try to – I think it's why projections are so difficult because – You've got these guys that could be successful if they were in the right situation. Um, and I think some of these guys inevitably will end up in the wrong situation. Some of these guys inevitably will end up in the right situation and will outplay their ranking, their pre-draft ranking, simply because of who they're around. Hmm. Uh, the next guy on your list, I'm a little bit surprised where you have him. Uh, Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma, an undeniably productive quarterback all throughout college, was good at Alabama, had a – you know. I don't want to say a surprisingly good season at Oklahoma because I'm actually convinced that Lincoln Riley is a witch doctor and he could probably find a way to make me productive in his system, and that's saying a lot. But you have him above Jake Fromm. You have him uh, above a couple of these other guys that you know maybe aren't the most highly touted, but I- I'm just not sold on Jalen Hurts' NFL potential. He, he, I mean, he not to say like the, the stereotypical, oh, you know, he, he's more of a running quarterback because he is athletic and he can do those things. He, he's got a decent arm. He was pretty accurate on, on some deep throws, at least at his time at Alabama. I didn't look at the advanced metrics when he, was, when he was at Oklahoma. But he just doesn't seem to have the nuance in his game that guys like Tua and Joe Burrow and, you know, I mean, even even like Fromm and Easton seem to show flashes of, of more like prototypical pro-style quarterbacking ability, at least from what I watched this year. Now, you've obviously watched a lot more tape and, and dug a little bit more into the numbers. So what do you like? What do you not like about Hurts? And why do you have him above Fromm? I think that that's actually a really good um, kind of synopsis of, of Jalen Hurts. I think, first of all, the positives, he's got a way better arm and way better accuracy than people give him credit for. Um, and, and I think that just people are very quick to dismiss his positives as a quarterback because we want to put him as, okay, he's this running quarterback. You know, he, he's blah, blah, blah. He's Lincoln Riley's offense. 
he was good at Alabama too, and he made some really, really good throws at Alabama. So even if you look at his tape, if you put a highlight tape on, you're going, wow, that's, that's some good throws. Um, his footwork can get a little bit choppy, but overall it's pretty decent. means that that can be fixed, that can be um, made a little bit better. He does have pretty good pocket movement. He kind of understands when um, players are, are closing in on him and stuff like that. The issue he runs into is he's not great at anticipating, so he wasn't asked a lot to anticipate, um, to throw, guys, throw the ball before guys are open. Um, throw it to a spot, that kind of stuff. Um, and he's got a little bit of a long throwing motion, which is fine if he were better at anticipating. What that means, though, is he's not down, like outright bad at either of those. So there are plenty of quarterbacks in the NFL that have a long throwing motion, but it's okay because they can anticipate and throw guys open. They can throw it a little bit before they need to. There are guys that have um, short throwing motions that – don't anticipate very well, but since they can get the ball out so quickly, um, it doesn't really matter as much. And so for that, I think that there's two weaknesses that you can fix by fixing one of them. Um, they're, they're two small things that kind of pile on top of each other. So if you fix one of them, um, it's a little bit better. I've got a Tyrod Taylor comparison for him. Mm. He's going to have to be able to run to have success. You're not going to put him back there and say, okay, never run. Um, no design runs, nothing like that. You're going to have to change your offense a little bit. But as we've seen, there are there's a place for quarterbacks that need to have an offense a little bit tailored to them um, here and there. I think another, this would be a weird comparison just because we don't think of them the same way, um, would be he's a little bit better at, um, a little bit more accurate than Josh Allen with a little bit worse of an arm. Um, I think that's honestly a pretty good – I did not like Josh Allen coming out. I still don't think he's that great. But there's a lot of um, potential there for him to, to succeed. And I think, again, kind of like with the Joe Flacco, of you don't have to be the most talented guy ever to have success in the NFL at quarterback. Right. I like the Josh Allen comparison, and all that means uh, for Jalen is just get on a team with a really, really good defense. Don't be asked to do a whole lot and rush for you know 110 yards a game and throw for – 200 yards a game, a touchdown, and a pick, and you'll be just fine. Uh, the next guy you have on your list, Jake Fromm, you know, I was asking kind of, you know, Hurts versus Fromm, and, and Fromm's a guy that it seems like did more damage to his stock than just about anybody else on this list in the past year. I was even a little bit surprised that he came out, but given that it's a, a, a shorter quarterback class, I guess he felt like he had an opportunity. Now, I, I was never big on Fromm. You know, his freshman year, I thought he was, you know, a very good game manager, didn't see as much of the upside. And then what he did his sophomore year, especially in the SEC championship game, even though they lost that to Alabama, I was like, wow, this guy might actually be really good. And then seemed to regress a little bit more to how he was playing his freshman year, uh, you know, this past year, his junior year. When you're looking at him, do you see the potential that he flashed towards the end of his sophomore year, or do you see more of the guy that we saw his freshman and junior years? I think the problem with Jake Fromm is he is so I hate using I hate the word cerebral, but we're gonna use the word cerebral. He understands more than any other guy in this class what's going on, what the defense is trying to do, um, how he can counteract that, and just does not have the physical talent to do it. Um, he's got – if he becomes – let's say he becomes a starter in the NFL, I would probably rank his arm talent 32nd. Um, he just doesn't have a lot of arm talent. He can't throw it, uh, doesn't put a lot of zip on the ball, doesn't have a lot of arm strength. Uh, he's got some pretty decent touch here and there, um, but – if he were a baseball player, I'd tell him to learn a knuckleball just because he wouldn't be able to throw an 80-mile-per-hour fastball. Um, 
which if we're slightly below average, we're Deshaun Watson level, that's totally fine. If we are, you can't make, as a, an offensive coordinator, I can't call certain plays because you just physically can't make them. Um, that's, I think, an issue. And he just can't run out routes because no matter how early he throws, he's going to have to throw it four yards before the guy turns to be able to get it there without a defender making an interception. And he's got that ability to anticipate really, really well. He just does not have the arm strength to do that. Um, I think a lot of that, too, is um, his progressions are slow. He knows what's going on, but it's almost like um, – here, here's a weird example. I've been playing MLB The Show. I know what's going on. I know that I'm facing Nolan Ryan on the mound, and he's going to throw a high fastball, <laughs> and I still can't catch up to yeah. it. Jake Fromm's back there going, I know this guy's going to be open, and he still can't get through his progressions to get to that guy. Mm. I think that can improve a lot. But I've got an NFL comparison of Colt McCoy on uh, Jake Fromm, which I like Colt McCoy. He's one of my mom's favorite quarterbacks ever. I have no idea why. Um, But (laughs) I just don't see a lot of that upside um, that we thought we were going to get when he came in, when he beat out Jake Beeson um, as a freshman to become the starting quarterback at Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I guess you don't have to look much further than that Carolina tape to see what the floor is for that guy, and and that's probably not worth spending a a top couple round pick on if if that's going to be what you're what you're spending your money on. At least Colt McCoy won a did he win the Heisman or was he a Heisman finalist? I think it was a Heisman finalist. I don't remember. Maybe if he the won same or Bradford one. Yeah, let's see. Oh six was Troy Smith. Oh seven was Tebow. Oh eight was Bradford, and that was. McCoy's last year, maybe that was a nine, and that was Mark Ingram. See, I guess he never won one, but he was in the discussion. One of the more exciting quarterbacks to watch in college, but um, in any case, that, that that's a very interesting comparison there, one that I would not have thought of. Uh, that's kind of the seven guys that everyone can kind of agree on, and then you told me right before we started recording that you have sort of a, a final tier of three guys that are, you know, maybe projects. I don't remember exactly how you put it. I'll let you talk about uh, Jake Luton, Cole McDonald, and uh, Kelly Bryant as they sort of bring up the rear of your draft network board here? So I think, first of all, if you're drafting a quarterback in the fifth round, sixth round, um, you're not expecting him to ever start for your team. Um, you're hoping for some good bat, uh, some good um, depth, um, a guy that's going to hold a clipboard, um, be really good, come up and mop up duty every once in a while. But you can strike gold every once in a while. Um, and so I've got three guys that, I'm not saying they're going to be good. I'm not saying they'll ever play a down in the NFL. I am saying that if there are, if there's a guy that's like a Gardner Minshew that just comes out and for whatever reason quarterback gets hurt, he's forced into action, and he doesn't look terrible, I think it's going to be one of these three guys. And the, the three guys I've got um, you mentioned are Jake Luton from um, Oregon State. He's really interesting. Doesn't have super strong arm. Doesn't do any one thing really great. He's six foot seven and he takes care of the ball. He had 23, uh, 28 touchdowns and three interceptions last year. Um, decent arm. He's got good pocket presence. He um, understands when the rush is going to get there. Um, he needs to work a little bit on his progressions, but he's got a really good deep ball. I think he's like fourth in the country in deep ball accuracy, um, something like that. So we're looking for that one thing of like maybe if you have to bring him in you can rely on him to, to make some good throws and to maybe not look completely lost out there. Um, so I think he's got a chance. I think Cole, Cole McDonald from uh, Hawaii's got a chance. He was probably my favorite uh, college, maybe college football player to watch last year just because he fits so well at Hawaii. Um, he's got great hair. Um, I think he cut it a little bit, but 
you know, super, super long dreadlocks, all that kind of stuff. Um, looks like a Hawaii quarterback and plays like a Hawaii quarterback. If he just goes out there, throws it 60 times a game and just slings it all over the place. Um, what's interesting is halfway through last season, he overhauled his mechanics in the middle of the season. Um, and so he, he came out in the beginning of the year. He, he is prone to, I think there were three times last year that he threw interceptions on back-to-back-to-back um, drives, which is just really weird. Um, but I, I would watch Hawaii games at like one o'clock in the morning. Cause what else am I going to do at one o'clock in the morning to watch Hawaii games? Um, and he would just have times where he just looked unstoppable. Uh, he would just go up there. He'd run no huddle. He'd call this guy out almost like he's playing in the backyard and he'd just hit guys all over the place. Um, and just really, really fun to watch. And at that point, at the beginning of the year, it's like, okay, this Colton Donald guy is really cool. Um, you know, he, he would be really fun to watch in the Canadian football league or something like that. And then he overhauled his mechanics and actually became a good quarterback instead of just a guy that goes out there and is really fun and has success. He became a really good quarterback. And so I'm really interested to see if that makes, um, you know, if that makes a difference, if that translates to the NFL, because he's got the wow factor. Um, He makes more bad decisions than uh, Jordan Love, which is saying something, but he's super fun to watch. And he's the kind of quarterback that, I think from a Gardner Minshew perspective, if we're getting overly literal with that um, analogy of like, he's super fun. He's all over the place. He's out there. He's a guy that I, as a fan would be completely okay with going eight and eight and throwing 20 interceptions in a year. Cause he's just so fun. And I would like to, him to be my quarterback. Um, so he's a guy that, that I think, you know, could be really good. Uh, and then Kelly Bryant, um, we've seen him kind of in the, um, I guess we could say Jalen hurts kind of vein of, he um, has some issues, um, but he doesn't get a lot of credit for some of the things that he's really good at. He's good at going through progressions. He's generally pretty accurate. He's got a longer throwing motion, very similar to Jalen Hurts here. Um, he needs to move the pocket and needs to have some um, designed runs to be successful. Uh, but I think he's going to be a guy that, if given an opportunity, could be pretty decent in the NFL. Again, we're not looking in this group for the next Tom Brady. We're not looking for, um, you know, the next Drew Brees. It's just not going to happen. Um, if it does, it's not anything that the, the team knew um, drafting this guy. It's really that they grew a lot and became really good when thrust into action. But I think we're just looking for guys that this guy could be a solid starter if somebody goes down in front of him and he ends up having to be a starter. That about does it for the quarterback class. Uh, I think top-heavy, is it fair to say just top-heavy in this quarterback class? And does it remind you of any other recent quarterback classes? I think it's top-heavy in the sense of there's two guys that no matter who you are, there's no argument that those two are the top two guys. I haven't seen anybody that's saying, no, actually, if two is uh, healthy, I would rather have Justin Herbert. Um, I, I just don't see that. And so the one that just comes to, to mind offhand uh, would be 2012, just in the sense of you have Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin III, and then some guys that are like here and there, maybe he's going to be good. I can't remember another quarterback in that class. There might be another one. Um, but the two top guys, everybody's like, yes, I think this guy's number one, this guy's number two. Maybe you can make an argument the other way. I made an argument the other way this year, obviously. Um, but that's kind of you've got your top two guys, and then you just got some other guys that maybe they do pan out. Last position group, the deepest position group in this class. 
maybe the deepest uh, this position group has ever been in any draft. And I don't know where it stacks up to other just like loaded position groups in any other draft. And I won't necessarily ask you to make that comparison unless you have one handy. But wide receiver. Will, is this the easiest to evaluate? I think so. Um, And I think so because it's so easy to see the difference between wide receivers as far as um, I don't have to change my offense to have a different type of wide receiver. Um, and there's more carved out roles at receiver than say quarterback or um, offensive line or, or something like that. You can have a guy that wins in one area and he can be really, really good because you just ask him to do that one thing he's good at. Um, and, and so I think it's a lot easier that you can kind of break down NCAA football always breaks it down into either their possession, their speed or their balanced. Doesn't work this year for this class because you've got a, guy, a lot of guys that are, Balance would be the guy that's like kind of good at both of them, and there are guys that are elite at both route running and um, speed, and you know the athletic ability and that kind of stuff. But I think for a team, it's really easy to say we need a slot receiver. Let's find a slot receiver that fits what we're trying to do. Easy, it, and I think that's easier than saying we need a corner that does this. We need a defensive end that does this. We need a running back that does this. I think receiver is the easiest place to do that. You have Jerry Judy at the top of your list. I've seen a lot of people with CeeDee Lamb at the top of their lists. So what are you what are you using? Uh, what advanced metrics? What kind of behind-the-scenes stuff beyond just breaking down film are you using for this? And where does Judy surpass Lamb? Or is this kind of a toss-up for you? It's kind of a toss-up. Um, Jerry Judy's not going to go first. I really don't think he will. Um, I tend to like the complete bias here. I like guys that run really good routes. Stephon Diggs is one of my favorite wide receivers in the NFL just because he knows how to get open. He's probably the best route runner in the wide or best route runner in the NFL for when's the draft? Uh, two days. So for the next two days, Stephon Diggs can claim best route runner in the NFL until Jerry Judy gets picked, in which case Jerry Judy immediately day one becomes the best route runner in the NFL. We have not seen a guy that can run routes like Jerry Judy in 20, 30 years. Um, as far as a draft prospect. This guy is just absolutely insane uh, at getting open. He can run every route in the book. He can run routes that aren't in the book. Um, he can get open, and he runs a 4-4. So it, it's not like it's this guy that he's got to be able to, um, you know, get around some guy and, and trick him in a route to be able to get open. He can run by a guy, too. Um, and he's, he's got good acceleration in and out of his routes. Um, so I really like that. I like CD Lane. It's probably more of a 1A, 2A kind of thing. Maybe, or I guess 1A, 1B, and even Henry Ruggs, 1C. Hmm. I love all three of these guys. And I think that any other year, they'd be the consens- a consensus top 10 pick. I think this year you're going to see wide receivers fall because it is so deep that I can get a really good guy in the third round that mm-hmm. another year I would be lucky to get in the first round. Yeah, it's, it's great for teams. Uh, there was a I don't know, some headline maybe yesterday just about the 49ers trading both of their first-round picks because they don't have any second, third, or fourth-round picks, and they wouldn't have another pick until the fifth round, I think. So, yeah, that means, yeah, in a second, third, and fourth. Uh, and, and my thought process there, I heard someone say, well, you know, why would you do that? You know, first-round picks are so valuable. I'm like, look, if you're the 49ers, you got a good offensive line. You maybe don't have a great quarterback, but you have your quarterback. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. not going to spend a high draft pick on a running back. You have <clears throat> playmakers everywhere on defense. 
where's an easy way for you to get better to help you get over the hill? I mean, you were already in the Super Bowl, so what helps you get over the hump? Maybe one more perimeter playmaking option, and you can get one of those in the second and third and, and fourth rounds and have it be you know a first-round kind of talent or, or at least first-round kind of upside because of how deep this draft is. So if you take your two first-round picks and turn it into two seconds and a third and, a, and two fourths or something like that, you're going to have a lot of chances to land – you know, one of these guys that is going to fall. So I think probably safe to expect Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb to easily go in the first round. Do you see Ruggs also making that cut? Uh, absolutely. I've got seven guys with first-round grades. Wow. Um, I think five or six of them will go in the first round. Um, it just because I, I think in the 20s we're going to see a big run on wide receivers. Um, just because we do have, in my opinion, a clear um, kind of first-round, first-tier um, where any other year, I mean, you'd be happy to get one of these other guys. Um, you know, in the second, third round, you'd be very, very happy, even maybe you push them up to the first round. This year, just because it's deep doesn't mean the top of the class is not amazing. It's not this deep class where it's like, okay, everybody's, you know, pretty decent, and you're going to find some third-round picks in the sixth round. You're going to find some first-round guys in the third round, which means your first-round guys are legit first-round guys. Mm-hmm. Um so I've got Jerry Judy as, again, the best route runner um, potentially in the NFL. I've got CeeDee Lamb. Um, he's got crazy ball skills, body control, and can make guys miss after the catch. Um, you really, really like that. And then Henry Ruggs has been kind of – he's so fast that people forget how good he is in other areas. He's a plus blocker. Um, he understands the game. He's always in the right place at the right time. Um so I've got him. I know some people that have him as wide receiver number one. Um, so I think that he is going to be um, a- another really, really good um, good player. Yeah, I've Ruggs- going to the Broncos, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I think Henry Ruggs is going to be really good. He's the fastest football player I've ever seen in person. Not to say that he's the fastest ever, but just the fastest that I've happened to, to see. And I-, I was glad to hear you mention that there are some other – you know, I don't want to say translatable skills because obviously he's a good wide receiver, but it's more than he's just fast. But also, just being fast is really, really valuable. Like DK Metcalf has a lot of other, you know, good skills and is an incredibly physical receiver and things like that. But first and foremost, like he can get open and he can take the top off a of defense if he needs to. Now, you know, maybe you don't want him trying to do a shuttle run or, or trying to juke guys out necessarily, but just vertical speed, he's got it for you. I mean, you see Tyree Kill's a, a very good receiver is fantastic. I mean, even a little bit undersized, but is fantastic in like 50-50 ball situations and just really, really good at everything. But also, at the end of the day, it's just really, really scary when Tyreek Hill's lined up across from you because you know he's going to run past you. And Henry Ruggs offers that option on every single play, even if he doesn't get any better. So uh, a quick Henry Ruggs story is I've got some um, good friends that are insiders at Alabama. Um, Apparently, his combine, by his standards, was one of the worst uh, worst combines he's ever had. When he would do some practice combines, some practice runs, he was running in the four four ones, um, laser times, um, and just was had a very very bad start to mm-hmm. his forty. Um, I don't think he ran it twice. I think he just ran it once. Um, but that he was really disappointed with his combine because it just was not. It, it was really slow for him. Um, and so that would be really exciting. I'd love to see him with Drew Locke in uh, in Denver. There's been some smoke about Denver trading up maybe for a CD Lamb or some other guys. They're going to take a receiver. I would love to see him with Drew Locke in um, Denver because I think he could be really good. 
And he does have some of that short line athleticism um, that a guy like maybe DK Metcalf doesn't have. Hmm. Um, so I'm really excited to see him too. So that's your 1A, 1B, 1C. The next couple guys you have, Justin Jefferson from LSU, Denzel Mims from Baylor, T. Higgins from Clemson. I'm familiar with those guys, having watched you know a good amount, a good amount of all of those teams this year. So I would just like in my head group those as a three. Is that a threesome for you? Is there a cutoff there? Or were you, are you going to include LaVisca Chenault and Brandon Ayuk in that next group as well? I've got a Chenault in that first, in that second group. Um, and I've got first-round grades on all of those guys. Mm. Um, we'll kind of go backwards just um, a little bit on that one. I've got Chenault seven. Um, he's super interesting just because when you watch him on film, you're like, he's 6'4", he can run, all that kind of stuff. And then you look and go, oh, he's only 6'1". Oh, he's not that fast. Oh. So he's got he, – he truly has game speed, game height, game size, all that stuff. He knows how to use his body um, it's so well. Um, and he's got great ball skills. And you always have to kind of throw that in there, uh, that his quarterbacks at um, Colorado were very, very wild. Um, he had some pretty talented quarterbacks at Colorado. They were just all over the place. Um, and he had to adjust to a lot of balls. I think that his numbers would have been even better if he had guys that could throw the deep ball because um, I like Steven Montez, can't throw deep ball. Um, very good quarterback. Um, he actually should get drafted this year. Can't throw deep ball at all. And Chenault's one of the best at taking the top off the defense, not just because he's fast, but because he's got little, little things in his route that he, can, um, that he can do to get open. And then when he gets open, there's not a lot of guys better at the catch point than he is. Um, in this draft. Um, some of the other guys that we're looking at, um, I like Justin Jefferson. We've seen him. Crazy catch radius. Um, that seems to be the, the MO on um, LSU receivers because he projects very very closely to like an Odell Beckham of just crazy throw it anywhere within, you know, 15 feet of him and he's got a chance to catch it. Um, Denzel Mims is another guy that's really interested or really interesting. Typically his skill and where he wins does not translate. He's the best at contested catches in, in uh, this draft class as far as like 50-50 jump balls. Those don't necessarily transfer to the NFL very well. Um, we'd like to see guys get open a little bit better. He's not great at getting open, but he wasn't asked to do a lot at Baylor. And before all of the offseason testing stuff, people just assumed that he just wasn't really good. He wasn't asked to do a lot of stuff because – they're trying to put him in a position where he is um, successful. Then he gets to the senior bowl and starts running like all these different route combinations. And we're sitting there at the senior bowl going, did, did you know he could do that? Like I, I've never seen that on film. He, he, he never ran that route on film. It is just absolutely roasting DBs on routes. He never at any point ran at Baylor. Um, so that's really interesting. Uh, he flew up draft boards when people realized, wait, he actually can run those routes. He just didn't. Um, so he's another first-round guy, I think. Um, and then you've got uh, T. Higgins, who I don't think played as well in college as he could be in the pros. Uh, it's, it's funny, his um, NFL comparison I've seen a lot is Sammy Watkins, um, another Clemson guy. Um, he's strong. He's tall. He's really good at attacking the ball. He's always going to come back to the ball. He's always going to run through the catch. Um, we like that a lot. He's another guy um, that would be talked a lot more about uh, kind of a, a 1A receiver, 1B receiver, if you didn't have a lot of these other guys um, up above him. 
So that's kind of the the next group you have there. And then Brandon Ayuk's a guy that you talk about shooting up draft boards. He was someone that seemingly came out of nowhere. Now, admittedly, I don't watch a ton of Arizona State football, but he was someone that really had started to capture people's attention by about the midway point of the college football season. And it, I guess it's different when it's a wide receiver. We had this conversation a little bit with Joe Burrow, but when you some, see somebody come out of nowhere, I imagine it's it's part of the process, and it's fair to say, okay, well, why did this happen? Is this just a fluke, or is this just sort of a natural progression? Maybe this guy was a late bloomer, like in the case of Burrow or, or in the case of Ayuk. What do you see from, from Ayuk that makes him uh, project as high as number eight on your board? What's really interesting with Ayuk is we talk about two different kinds of speed. And most of the time when we're talking about speed, it's can you run a deep post? Can you run, um, you know, a fly route? Can you get way behind the defense and end up um, kind of, you know, Tyree Kill scores most of his touchdowns um, on deep balls. Um, Ayuk is the exact opposite. He, do, he doesn't have a lot of straight line speed, um, but he had, I think, three or four 50-plus yard touchdowns on screens last year of literally just, stand out there, take the ball, make a couple people miss, and he's gone. Um, so he has the most yards after catch of any guys in this um, in this draft class. He's got crazy explosion, acceleration, and um, lateral quickness. And that's what we, um, you know, he's our first tier of our round two guys are going to be you're drafting for a specific purpose. You're not drafting him to be, like, your number one receiver. Um, in, in a lot of ways, I don't think. He could. Um, I think he play a lot in the slot. But you're looking – he's the guy that a team could fall in love be- with because he's the guy they're missing. Um, I don't know exactly what the 49ers would want. Maybe a, a deep ball guy, um, something like that, maybe a Jalen Rager, um, you know, some sort of maybe a bigger-bodied receiver. I don't know. Um, but they're a team that they specifically probably have three or four guys way further up their board than what a lot of people would have on a big board or something like that. And Ayuk is one of those guys. I could see him getting drafted early, early, early second round Mm -hmm. just because you've got a team that could use his skill set. When you look at the rest of these guys, really starting with Ayuk, because obviously the top of the list is like real headliners, but as you get into even the middle class, and this is why this is such an incredible group of wide receivers from Brandon Ayuk to Jalen Rager, uh, K.J. Handler out of Penn State, Brian Edwards out of South Carolina, Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan, Michael Pittman out of Southern Cal, Van Jefferson all the way down there at 14. It, it feels like all those guys, it's like you got a pretty good option with all those. And I, I don't know how you separate them. Did you just kind of throw these names in a hat and pull them out? Or did you really were you really able to distinguish, you know, Rager's 9 and Hamler's 10 and Edwards is 11? Because to me, this feels like a lot of, a lot of guys, not even with necessarily similar skill sets, but maybe similar ceilings. Yeah, I think similar ceilings is a good way to put it. And this is very outside of my um, particular, um, the way I do things. But a lot of it was, um, it's going to be up to interpretation of what a team wants for a lot of these these guys. You can't objectively say this guy's better than this guy. Um, I think especially as we get into the middle rounds. But I kind of looked at it as where would I be happy to draft somebody? Um, You know, if I could get this guy, and and I ranked it by, by round. And so um, I've got seven guys in the first round. If I can get LaVisca Chenault at the end of the first round, I'd be happy. I wouldn't want to try to get him at 20 in the first round. Um, And so as we went down, it's guys where just kind of roughly where I'd be happy to get them. So Ayuk I've got as my number one round two guy. So maybe like 35 to 40, I'd be happy to get Ayuk. Um, Anything past that, I'd be ecstatic. 
Um, Jalen Rager, um, I've seen him up above Ayuk in a lot of places. I have him in, like, I'd be happy to get him at, you know, let's say 42 or something like that. Um, and, and I kind of went down. And so all the way through Jonathan Peoples-Jones, I've got second-round grades on, which puts, for South Carolina fans, Brian Edwards at about the 60, 55 to 60 range. I think he could go a little bit later than that, but I would be happy to get a guy like Brian Edwards with the 60th pick. Um, and, and so a lot of this is you're getting into what kind of guy do you need, where do you see a guy fitting in your offense? Because you can have a fifth-round receiver that you have a second-round grade on just because you know exactly what role he's going to play in your offense. Um, and, and I think we've seen that before. I think one of the best ideas or best uses of that would be um, t- uh, Tyler Lockett a few years ago. It was a fourth-round pick, but Seattle knew how to use him, and immediately when they drafted him, they're like, he's starting for us. Mm. Um, and we know that. Uh, but they were able to get him in the fourth round because he didn't necessarily have that consensus of this is where um, he wants to go. So this is where I think you could see teams, you know, taking, you know, taking a risk and, and waiting a little bit, seeing if they can get their wide receiver later than what they probably should go. Wide receiver is kind of interesting when you're talking about drafting philosophy too, because it, it's unlike other positions where it's like, all right, you want your defensive end slash outside linebackers to be good pass rushers and you want your interior linemen to just be like big hulking masses that can take on a double team from a garden center and stop the run and you want your corners to be able to cover and you want your safeties to be you want them all to be Earl Thomas basically uh you know if you pass a lot you want your tackles to be excellent pass blockers you want your quarterback to have a certain skill set but with wide receiver it's like whatever's available you can take that and you need that and you can take advantage of it so maybe you have a couple fast guys well great you can take one of these possession guys like a like a Brian Edwards who also gives you a, a little more big play potential than I think people give him credit for just because of the increased physicality in his game and, and the way that he can just go up for 50-50 balls. And that catch against Tennessee is still the, the best catch I've ever seen a South Carolina receiver make. And, and we can you know probably probably have a, a healthy debate on that, but it was pretty spectacular. But you can take – I mean, you, you, you need a speed guy, and you need a possession guy, and you need an underneath guy. And it seems like all those guys are, are sort of available in some way or the other here, which is why this will be interesting because – teams will be in a position where they're going to have to make those choices rather than just, all right, this guy's the best available and he's a possession receiver, but we already have a possession receiver, so do we want to double up on that? But now it's going to be like, all right, we have three guys here. We think they all have about the same grade for us, so we're just going to take whatever fits our team best right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You said your cutoff for second round is Donovan Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mentioned a couple other of those guys already uh, uh, below that. Michael Pittman Jr. from Southern Cal, Van Jefferson from Florida, Tyler Johnson from Minnesota, Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. Uh, you can just tell me when to stop. But what do you see in the difference in uh, those guys' games from that sort of second tier, basically from IUK all the way down to Peoples-Jones? I think these are slightly riskier picks in, in the sense that they've got something that holds them back um, than a lot of those guys. Um, for, for example, Michael Pittman Jr. gets open, but he's not a good route runner. Um, so it's is there a place for that? Yeah, I think there is a place for that. I think that if you just have an innate ability to get open, even if you're not very crisp in your routes and you don't really fool a lot of guys, I think there's a place for that. But also in the NFL, I've seen a lot of guys that don't pan out just because they're not good route runners. They could get open in college against college um, competition, but when you get in the NFL, you just can't kind of wiggle your way and somehow end up open. Um, and so I think that's a concern with him. And then I think, um, there's a distinct lack of production with Van Jefferson. Andy's older. He'll be 24. Um, I, 
25, I think, when the season starts. Um, so I think that's an issue there. You're, you know, missing out maybe on two years of his prime. Um, he's a good route runner, but just you don't have great production. You don't have the numbers there that you can point to and say, wow, yeah, he was great in college. You say he has the potential to be great, but we didn't really see it a lot in college. Um, Tyler Johnson um, is one of the most unique um, players in this draft. Uh, he was just absolutely dominant in college at Minnesota. Um, doesn't have a lot. Of, he's not the most physical receiver. Um, doesn't have a lot of height. Doesn't have a lot of speed. Um, he's a decent route runner. Again, he he gets open. He's absolutely unstoppable at the point of catch. Um, crazy catch radius, all that kind of stuff. The question is, without some of those other skills, is that going to translate? Mm. Um, if it does, he's going to be a really good NFL receiver. If it doesn't, he might be off the roster in two years. We don't know. Um, kind of the opposite of that, um, you got Chase Claypool, who is this year's DK Metcalf. Um, he's gigantic um, and can run really, really fast, but he's not quick. Um, so we like, you know, if you've got a team that can use him, DK Metcalf's, we always make fun of his, his short line quickness and things like that. His numbers were historically bad, as in most offensive linemen beat him in, like, the mm-hmm. shuttles and things yeah. like that. Um, but he had a ton of success as a pre- or as a rookie last year because the Seahawks were like, but you're really big and can run, so go out there in the slot and just, you know, out-muscle these smaller slot corners. Um, can Chase Claypool do that? Is the team going to be willing to do that with him? We'll see. I think there's a lot of investment, and um, this is not the way it should go, going, you know, quick business lesson. We're talking about sunk costs here. But I think there's um, a little bit of pressure the higher you pick a guy for him to be better, not just on the player but on the team. And so are you willing to take a second-round pick and say, we only want you to do one thing this year? Or are you going to have to say, like, we need you to do a lot because we spend a second-round pick on you? Um, I think the teams that are willing to be patient and say, no matter where we draft you, we have a plan for how to slowly bring you along to use you where you're, um, where you're most successful. And that might not look like you playing every down. I think the teams that can do that um, are the ones that really find success, especially at the receiver position. And then the last guy I've got um, kind of ranked as a third round pick would be um, Courtney Davis um, from Texas A&M. He knows how to get open. He's got good footwork um, at, and after the catch is a concern. He's not the best at going up and getting the ball. He's not the best at catching it with his hands and being able to continue moving. Um, a lot of times he'll slow down, stop his momentum to catch the ball, things like that. Um, but he was really good this last year. He got hurt. So I don't think, South, if I recall correctly, I don't think South Carolina fans got to see him against South Carolina. Um, but another really good SEC receiver that I have as a third-round uh, pick. And those are my seventeen. What I've mostly been doing is the guys I'm talking about first in basically all of this um, have been my guys in my top 100. Hmm. Um, so I've got 17 receivers in the top 100. That would be a draft record. Um, I think the record is 14 uh, receivers in the um, first three rounds, and I think the over/under on a prop bet is 14 and a half. I would go over, and that's just my opinion. Yeah, it seems like a cinch, especially because you have two and a half to spare if the over-under is 14, uh, 14 and a half. And you have three more guys here. I, I don't know how interesting these are. I, you don't have third-round grades on them, so I don't necessarily think they will get picked in the third round. But you have K.J. Hill from Ohio State, 
uh, James Proche, is that how you say it, from SMU. And then a guy that I think is really interesting for a lot of reasons, and I want to spend a little more time talking about him, is Lynn Bowden from Kentucky because he's a wide receiver that spent most of his final year at Kentucky playing quarterback and doing everything that the Wildcats needed him to do. He seems like a guy with a lot of with a lot of upside, obviously a proven track record for versatility. Maybe not the most intriguing wide receiver prospect, but does he, doesn't he does he feel, or I, I, I don't want to ask like a leading question, does he feel to you like someone that a team might want to take a flyer on in the third round? Maybe not even as a, as a wide receiver, but just say, hey, this guy's really good at football. Let's just get him in our locker room. I think the way it's – I would take him in the third round. I would totally do it. The way this draft is setting up, he's probably a fifth-round pick, maybe a fourth-round pick. Um, I would absolutely pick him because he's got everything you can't teach and lacks a lot of things you can teach. Um, I, I saw somebody put it well of if he didn't play quarterback this last year, he would have moved up draft boards because he'd have a little bit more opportunity to showcase his receiver skills. Um, he's got a very limited route tree. Um, he's not very um, nuanced in his routes or anything like that. He's kind of clunky, but he can do it all um, super fast, um, very versatile, very quick. Um, listen, I mean, I can't remember who they played off the top of my head. I'm going blank um, in the, the bowl game. Was it Virginia Tech maybe? Where they had a month to prepare for him knowing that the entire Kentucky offense was Lynn Bowden taking the ball and running. They had an entire month to prepare for him, and he put up like 290 rushing yards through the game-winning touchdown pass, all this kind of stuff. That, that's just when teams can't stop you and they know that you're the one guy, there's nothing else on that Kentucky offense that should lead any team to be able to, to not be able to stop Lynn Bowden. And they couldn't stop him. That, to me, is a huge, huge plus. He's not a guy you're going to be able to bring in and rely on immediately because he, he's super clunky as a receiver. But I think you can teach him a lot of those things, and the fact that you've got a guy that's played quarterback in the past, has played receiver, can play running back, can move in the slot, can return punt, all that kind of stuff, I think that's a great value for the fourth round. You haven't listed behind K.J. Hill from Ohio State. Do you, is that because you feel like K.J. Hill is just a better pure wide receiver prospect, or do you think he's just a more intriguing football player? So I line these guys up, um, these, these three in particular, where they're, it's looking like they're going to get drafted, um, just because these, these are three guys I really like from the end, and I like them relative to the draft position. So obviously with a lot of these, these late-round guys, I'm not advocating pick them in the second round. But – I really like them relative to where it looks like they could go. I think they're really good value picks. And K.J. Hill's kind of the opposite of Limbo, and he's just not super explosive. Um, he doesn't have a lot of um, a lot of speed, a lot of going to be able to um, just completely roast cornerbacks. But he's got a lot of nuance in his route running. Um, he's a really, really good route runner, and he catches everything. Um, and there will always, no matter how much the NFL changes, there will always be a place for guys that can get open and can catch the ball. Um, we've seen it. You don't have to be super athletic. Uh, if you've got a team that's going to move you around and just put you in positions to get open and catch the ball, you can have success. And so he's a guy I like. Um, and then the, the last guy I've got relative to his draft position, I'm saying like seventh round grade on this, on um, James Prush, which that's way too low. Um, SM, SMU receivers really, um, in, in the past, have had success. 
Um, you, you've got guys, um, he was under Chad Morris. He was recruited by Chad Morris um, and that staff. So some guys with a lot of SEC um, coaching experience, um, ACC coaching experience, all that kind of stuff. Um, he's a prototypical slot guy. Um, they just put out really good receivers. He can catch the ball in traffic. He doesn't really get nervous with a bunch of defenders around. Um, he's a little bit unpolished in his route running, but it's effective. Um, and I think he could do a little bit better. I think he could, could clean up some stuff here and there and be a really good slot guy for a team. We were going to throw in tight ends with the wide receivers because that's basically what tight ends do in the NFL right now, I guess with the exception of Kyle Juszczyk and maybe one or two other guys. But you said it's not a super deep tight end class, so I don't think you made necessarily a separate draft board for tight ends. Is that correct? I've got, off the top of my head, I think I've got three in my top 100, and mm-hmm. all of them are in between like 80 and 100. Okay. Um, I'm hearing randomly that um, Cole Komet, from uh, Notre Dame could go in the first round. I don't see it at all, and I think a lot of it is you can get a tight end later. Um, as important as tight end now is in the NFL, you still have guys going later than they should, uh, and, and I think you can get one of these guys in the, the third round, um, you know, fourth round, probably consensus um, from what I'm seeing, even though there's some um, differences here and there. Hunter Bryant from Washington, um, is, is a guy that could really be um, the, the first one off the board. I think he probably will be the first one off the board, um, unless what Chris Sims is saying is, is right, um, and that K-Met's going to go first. Um, Bryant disappeared for games at a time. Uh, I had him on my fantasy team last year, so I, I followed him. There would be games where he would have, like, 10 catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns, and there would be other games where he had, like, a catch for five yards. Um He's he's physical, he's tall, he's big, he's athletic. He's everything you want a tight end. Same thing with kind of Bryce Hopkins. He's probably not quite as athletic as Hunter Bryant, um, but he can get open. Um, and then you got K-Met, and then you've got a small school guy, Adam Troutman, who's a big, 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 big body um, and pretty decent blocker. Uh, always have concerns with competition level, uh, especially when you're relying on athleticism to win. Um, but Troutman is pretty refined. Um, so those are my four guys of, um, you know, in between probably second and fourth round is where I'd say they go. So a position that you tend to value but just isn't a very good class for it? Yeah, I just don't think it's a very good class this year. And you've got some wide receivers that are just gigantic receivers that if you wanted to move them to tight end, I think that'd be just as easy as taking a tight end um, in this draft. It's really the the tight end class is not going to be this down every year. So I think that if you really, really need a tight end, go with a wide receiver for right now, survive a year, and then pick a tight end next year. All right. There we go. We did it. Pat yourself on the back. Weight off our shoulders. A little bit of a photo finish here as we've done four position groups basically in the last like three work days, three, four work days, whatever it is. Um, but we did it. We have gotten to the end. Will, thank you so much. Extensive breakdowns for every single position group. I I, want to ask, but I don't want to know how much time you spent evaluating all of these guys, not to mention everything that you're doing uh, with your actual real job at PrepRA, evaluating guys that want to go on and and participate in college athletics at the next level that are in high school right now. Um, Just an incredible amount of work that you put in. Before we get out of here and and before we get to actually watch the NFL draft and see how much of this comes to pass because, again, we're recording this Tuesday morning. Draft is on Thursday, and we'll reconvene at some point next week to sort of 
retouch on a couple of the things that we talked about heading up to the draft and you know maybe do a little bit of a draft recap. Do you have any crazy predictions for anything you think will happen on Thursday or Friday? I don't know if it's crazy. We talked about this a little bit, um, I guess, last podcast. I'm really excited to see what happens when GMs don't have each other to rely on, um, when there's no group think, when it's truly you and your scouting department that is coming up with the entire um, really draft board that you're doing. You'd be surprised at how many teams collaborate and even just going to the same pro days, going to the combine, all that stuff. Um, work together on, okay, we like this guy, we like this guy, and they get an idea for where people are going. I think what's going to be really interesting this year is you're going to have teams that maybe don't want to take risks because they don't have an idea of where guys are going. Um, you might have some inside information in another year that says, we really have a first-round grade on this guy, but we know that nobody's taking him until the third round, so we're going to wait. Uh, and I think that that's not going to happen this year because we don't have as much communication with all this stuff. Um, we don't have pro days as much. We're watching pro days online. So I think you're going to see a lot of, especially late in the first round, guys that even like the most accurate mock drafts have not had going until like the third round. I think you're going to see some guys way, quote-unquote, overdrafted, some guys way underdrafted. Um, I, I think that'll be interesting. And then I think that because of the uncertainty, you're going to have teams that are very willing to trade back more so than other years because it just increases your opportunity to um, hit on one of your picks. So I think the Dolphins trade up to number three. I think everything else has been smoke. I think they trade up with the Lions to number three, um, package one of their first round or maybe their second round pick, pick Tua. I think that drama will be over. Um, And then I think that you're going to see some guys fall out of the top 10 and some guys in that 11 to 15 range or teams in that 11 to 15 range that are just absolutely ecstatic at who they actually get to pick up. That is not 11 to 15, but maybe one to five um, as far as talent level um, in this draft. So I'm really excited for this year. Um, I'm also excited to see what it looks like without anybody tipping picks. I think they'll still tip picks. I'm interested to see if any NFL writer goes the way of – What's his name from of, uh, uh, Woj at the NBA I, draft when he wouldn't actually Woj, say it, but he kept implicating it. Yeah, I, I think I've heard some strong indications yeah. that this team really likes this guy. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll be interested to see if that happens. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited, and I will definitely be watching. I'll probably be live tweeting, um, and you know, probably uh, pretending like I t- wasn't totally wrong on some picks, and then when I get a pick right every once in a while, definitely touting that as if I knew that and nobody else did. So um, that that's what it'll look like draft day. Hey, if you get 50% of them right, then that means you're an aspiring general manager and you'll be very successful one day. Uh, last thing for you, what are the Panthers going to do? Um, I think they'll trade back. Uh, I really think the best case scenario would be to trade back to about 10 or 11, pick up Javon Kimmel, because I think he will last that long, um, and then pick up an extra second-round pick, and I think that would be really, really good. Um, from what I've heard inside the organization, they've got um, a lot of guys with a mid first, early mid first round pick grade, um, which means you could see them trade back to twenty and still pick up a guy that they had a you know top ten grade on. That would be great news for the Panther fans. I love the idea of trading back, uh, trading back. And some of the group of Panther fan that sounds uh, sounds just right to me. They're not going to be contending in the next couple of years anyway. So go ahead and 
Collect assets while you can. Follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. He'll be live tweeting the draft. He'll be releasing his mock draft, his big board, top 100, everything over the course of the next couple days. So check that out. And, of course, check out his website, prep-ra.com. If you need ACT or SAT prep, private group tutoring, subject tutoring, college prep, recruiting guidance, social media workshops, essay editing, all sorts of other stuff. You've also been streaming on Twitch, letting people watch and see how you evaluate film. That uh, channel on Twitch is prep underscore RA. Again, that's prep underscore RA. The website is prep-ra.com at WHelms21 on Twitter. Will, thanks so much. This has been a blast. Enjoy the draft, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up again next week. Absolutely. All right, that'll do it for this final, I guess, pre-draft episode of Gamecock Central GM. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. For Will, I'm Pearson. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week.